So this morning, I want to invite up here a very special guest with us. Um, pastor Preston Tippin is here. He is the lead pastor at Northridge Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. And he and his wife, Amy, pastor there together in this thriving community um, where they're making a huge impact. I had the privilege of being up there in May and just seeing what was happening for the kingdom of God. And so I'm so excited about that. What's really incredible to me is Preston was launched right here um, from Erie First. Uh, he had some, he was saved and discipled in this youth group. Um, I won't tell them what year because we still look so young. And, um, and he has been one of my best friends since I was eight years old. And so it's such a privilege and an honor for him to be here this morning. So would you welcome him? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Nicole. Uh, it is, it's actually fun to, to be here with you guys. Uh, it's a little bit like coming home, um, like Pastor Nicole said. Uh, I got saved in the youth ministry right here under Pastor Kevin Taylor uh, a while ago. Uh, if you don't know who that is, that shows you how long ago it was. Uh, and it's been great. I was discipled here, actually interned here. Uh, when I was in college, and that's the only other time I've been on this stage, and so I feel kind of cool right now to be up here in, in front of all of you. Um, you guys, though, are more like family than you know, um, not because you know me, uh, but because you have loved uh, my mom and uh, my late father uh, so well for the last 20 years. My mom, Denise, uh, and, and my, my late father, Troy, uh, have loved worshiping and serving at this church for the last 20 years. And thank you uh, for loving on them. Thank you for caring for them, for making them a part of your family, even as I ran off to Wisconsin to be a long way away from them. But I get to come home at Christmas time and hang out with you guys, so it's really good. And so thank you for doing that. Um, I had a question to start today. Uh, how, if you had to rate yourself, how neighborly would you rate yourself as? Like, like, good neighbor, bad neighbor? Like, just think about that. And the reason I ask is, I recently watched the movie, uh, the new Tom Hanks movie about Mr. Rogers, okay? And I watched this movie, and like, I wanted to race home and put on like a cardigan and my loafers and just like scoot off to make-believe land. Like, it was, it was an amazing movie. Uh, but after I saw that one, which is called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I actually watched the documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? That came out in 2018. So if you're like, man, I am so bored of this Christmas break. I have nothing to do. I need you to go rent the movie Won't You Be My Neighbor by Mr. It's Mr. Rogers' documentary life story. It's absolutely amazing. And I asked you if you've seen this movie or how neighborly you are because whether you think yourself as a good neighbor or think of yourself as a bad neighbor, you are a neighbor. God has given you neighbors. And I'm not just talking to people that live like across the hall in your apartment or your dorm or, or down the street on your block. I'm talking about the people that cross your path every moment of every day. Our church in Wisconsin, we actually have labeled our neighbors, we call it our wingspan, because every single one of us have a wingspan. When you stretch your arms out, that's your wingspan. And for me, it's, it's just shy of six foot. And no matter where I go, I have a wingspan. And that means no matter who is in my wingspan, that's a neighbor that God has put in my path, put in my sphere of influence for me to impact. Whoever was within my reach at any moment, that's my wingspan. And you have one too. Now do me a favor. 
don't go through the grocery store like this, okay? Because that's weird. Like, you look weird walking through the grocery store like this. But just envision that as you're walking in the store or you're walking down the street or you're in a crowd. Man, whoever's within this six-foot wingspan is someone that, that I can show love to, that I can, can show the love and the joy of Jesus to. They are your neighbor. And so this morning, as we get started... I want you to think of someone within your wingspan. Now, not your physical wingspan right here because they're already in church. You know them, okay? But I want you to think of someone. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's at your college, in your school. Maybe it actually is in your neighborhood. That very often, they are within your wingspan. I want you to picture their face in your mind. Uh, Hold their name on the tip of your tongue. It can be anyone. Anyone within your wingspan that God brings to your mind right now, and I just want you to think about them. Just hold that in your brain. Think about their name as we go into today. And so as you're thinking about that person, you can grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of First Peter. It's in the New Testament. We're going to be in the first chapter of First Peter. If you, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, you can whip out your smartphones. I left mine on the front side of my smartphone. Open up your Bible apps. If you don't have a Bible app, talk to me afterwards. I'll show you what a Bible app is. It's really great. You can always have the Bible with you at all times. Uh, But if you have your paper Bibles, open that up. Otherwise, we'll have the verses on the screen as well. And today, as you're thinking about that person who's within your wingspan, that neighbor, I want to talk a little bit about how Jesus and who Jesus is within our community, the community outside of church. Don't get me wrong. I love church. I spend a lot of time in church as a pastor. But I also love the community that God has given me, my wingspan that is outside of these church walls. And so I want to talk about how how we can be the church, how God has called us to not just do church, but go be the church. And so if we look at 1 Peter, in that first chapter, uh, we understand that, that 1 Peter was written to people who were waiting for Jesus to come back. See, about 30 years before this, Jesus had three wonderful years of ministry. And, and then he had died on the cross for everybody. And then he had, he had ascended from the grave and, and like brought forgiveness, salvation that had, had been promised all throughout the Old Testament. But now it was actually here. And so things were pretty good. But now Jesus wasn't there. And things weren't awesome. And people were waiting for Jesus to come back. And Peter writes this letter to a group of people who were longing for Jesus to come back. They were longing to see him again. Now, they had been doing what Jesus had told them to do. They had been following what we call the Great Commission. They had been going all throughout the nations. They had been teaching about Jesus. They had been baptizing Jesus' name. They had been discipling people. They've been seeing the Holy Spirit come upon people and transform their lives. They had seen what real forgiveness had been doing in anyone who was within their wingspan. But it wasn't always easy. In fact, this letter was written to a people who they were putting their belief, they were putting their trust in Jesus, but they were facing, they were facing incredibly tough times. They, had, they began to wonder, man, is this believing in Jesus thing? Is this like whole baptism and like transformation by the Holy Spirit? Is it really all it's cracked up to be? Because my life is rough right now. Like I'm not loving everything that's going on. See, back then, if you were a Christ follower, a Christian, if you believed in Jesus, you were not treated very well. 
You were often ridiculed. You were fired from your job. You were beaten. Sometimes you were thrown in jail. You were spit upon. Even your families were taken, were tortured, were treated horribly. It was not awesome to go to church, to believe in Jesus. It was not something fun that you were like, hey, you know what? I want the easy road in life. I'm going to be a Christ follower. And it's in this atmosphere that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just gonna, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. And it says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It's pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or any decay. And it's through your faith. God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. See, Peter writes this, and people are, are, are getting his words, and they're like, okay, we can do this. Like, yes, God is so good. Thank you for this encouragement, Peter. I, I love hearing all this stuff. He opens up his letter by praising God for his transforming power. We, we, we heard two words during worship today about how God's transforming power wants to be a part of our everyday life. This is what people were experiencing day in and day out. They had, they had, some of them had seen Jesus come back from the dead, or they had heard the story from a firsthand account. And so Peter's just reminding them of this. And then Peter reminds them about how amazing the future is going to be, how they have an inheritance. They have a, a promised gift that when they, when they believe in Jesus with all their heart, they will have an inheritance in heaven. Heaven is this place that's going to be beyond decay, beyond issues. It's going to be perfect. You're going to love it. And it's for you. It's something good that's coming in the future. And in the meantime, he continues, this pre-heaven world, this present world that they're living in, that we're living in now, God is literally protecting us through our faith, Peter writes. And so that's why in verse 6, Peter can write, So be glad, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. You get to that point and you go, wait, whoa, Jesus, listen. I love that you inspired Peter to write all this stuff. It was all good until verse 6. Let's just, let's just skip over verse 6, because I don't know about you, I don't like pain. I don't really like suffering. Okay, like I like things easy, comfortable. I like fun things. I, I don't love this idea that I must endure a trial. I just want to skip to the good part of 1 Peter. And so I look and I go, you know what? He started off real strong. He started off really encouraging. Let's just kind of skip. Let's go check out like chapter 2. And, and I realize, oh, chapter 2 is a lot of the same. And then three and four and five, and the whole book, the whole letter First Peter writes, although it starts encouraging, is letting people know, hey, listen, stuff's gonna be tough for a while. You are gonna have to endure suffering and trials. Things are not going to be peachy keen all the time. In fact, 
He says you must endure trials. Persecution, suffering for what you believe in is actually a promise. It's not a maybe. It's not a eh, sometimes. It's a promise, Jesus says. But why? See, these people in, in getting this letter from Peter are like, wait, wait, why, why? Like, what's it worth? Like, Jesus, I thought you came to, like, save everything. Like, just make it all better. What's going on? Why are people coming against me? Why do I feel the, the more I grow in my faith, the more that I feel like my wingspan, those around me, like, ostracize me or don't want to hear about it? Why is that? It's because they really believed in it. Do you really believe in something? Like, like really believe in it. Now, I'm not talking about like, I believe that McDonald's french fries are better than uh, Burger King's french fries, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not real belief, all right? That's this preference. I'm talking about like, I believe that my kids are so important that I'll do anything. I'll take a bullet to make sure that they are protected and they understand the way. I, it's the type of belief that says, you know what? I believe so much in my future that I believe I'm not going to post the stupidity stuff that I do on Instagram so that my future employer will see it and not give me a job. It's that type of conviction and belief, friends, that when we look into the future, we say, God, that is the future I believe you have for me. Jesus, this, it's that type of belief, that, that core conviction, deep down, nothing rattles it. That even when I face persecution, when I face people who, who don't really like me or I'm going through some hard troubles and trials that you say are a promise in your word, that it's through those things that I prove the genuineness of my faith. See, 1 Peter 1.7 says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. See, Jesus, through Peter's encouraging as well as kind of discouraging words, by promising persecution says, but your faith is proved genuine as you walk through it. Listen, anyone can have faith when things are awesome. When everything's going your way, when things are perfect, it's easy. Yeah, Jesus is awesome. It's when things aren't so good. It's when people, when your wingspan don't want to be around you, don't want to hear about Jesus. It's when you find it hard to live out what you learn on a Sunday morning, Monday through Saturday. That's when it's hard to have faith. And so Peter writes to these Christians learning to live out their faith in a whole new world. Their newfound faith has literally set them up against the ways of the existing, existing Roman as well as Jewish-operated world. They're just very belief. Their core belief in Jesus has put them against the way the world operates at that time. And they're not just suffering. Like, it's not just like, oh, that person looked at me mean. Or, yeah, I, I was talking to this guy, and he wouldn't even shake my hand because he learned, learned I went to church. Okay, listen, that's nothing, okay? These people were being killed. They were getting thrown, stones thrown. They were losing their jobs. Their families were being hauled off to jail, okay? They weren't just suffering. They were being persecuted. And so Peter says, listen, you must endure this. Persecution is actually a promise. And yet, they still believe. They still put their trust in Jesus. Now, what I find really interesting is shortly after this time, throughout this time, like Christianity grew like to epic levels. 
There's been no time in our history where we've seen the percentage growth of those believing in Jesus than at this time. And yet they were being actively persecuted. Like Nero, who was, who's the Roman emperor at the time, like for fun would burn Christians at the stake. And it wasn't until 380 AD when Emperor Theodosius made Christian, Christianity the official state religion that persecution started to die out. Now, what's interesting is that's about the same time the growth of those believing in Jesus started to taper off. I don't know why it is, but for some reason, when, when people face persecution, when us humans face the idea that what we believe in isn't the majority, when we, when we believe in something so much that we're willing to suffer for it, that we're willing to die for it, that we're willing to not be the most popular in every situation, that for some reason people grab a hold of it and they're like, there's something different about that guy. Like, that family down there, that should have just decimated them, and yet they're still upbeat. They're still doing life. Like, that should have just wiped them away. That sadness, that trial, that suffering should never have grown them stronger. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And yet it's happened time and time again. See, throughout generations, Christ followers have been willing to face persecution and ridicule because their love of Jesus, their love for others in their wingspan was stronger than their fear of even harm. Friends, what about you? Is your core trust and belief in Jesus stronger than your fear of facing some harm? Maybe facing losing a friend. Maybe not getting a promotion because you won't do a certain thing that you know is against what God would want you to do. Are you more afraid of what could happen than you are in love with that which is already happening in you. And so I want to look real quick at a couple other passages in 1 Peter. Because it's nice to hear a pastor talk about a book in the Bible. Like, I, I love it. I, I take notes on other pastors. Matter of fact, I actually watched a couple of Pastor Nicole's messages before coming uh, here today. Because I was like, listen, I want to get some real good teaching, okay? Like, I want to make sure that I know what's going on. She's great. And I took some notes on that. I love hearing that. But I want to... I want to see, yeah, see, you can clap for her. See, it's great. She's a good friend of mine, so I love this. But we know what I really want to know about the Bible is what's it got to do with me? If we're, if we're really going to look at Scripture, it's good to know about Scripture, but it's even better to know how it's going to affect me. Like, what is it doing in me? And so I want to look at three different things, three different truths that we can take away from 1 Peter's book that starts out real encouraging and then gets like not so encouraging all the way through. Okay, the first thing is this. God calls us to stand firm in our faith in Jesus. Listen, that doesn't mean be a jerk, okay? So if you're like, yes, I just staunchly stand there and say, I love Jesus and don't like you. No, that's not what it means, okay? To stand firm in your faith means that we reach higher for more of Jesus, to have more security in who he says he is. Peter actually echoes this at the end of his letter in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verses 8 and 9. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. 
Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How do you resist him? Stand firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, even in Erie, Pennsylvania, is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Friends, you are not unique in your suffering, and that's okay. That should be encouraging. First Peter, it tries to get encouraging at the end again, even though you're like, oh, really? Like the enemy is prowling around? I don't love that. He tries to be encouraging to say, listen, other people are facing it. And you know what? And they're standing firm in their faith. You can't believe in something unless you're willing to stand firm in it, in the face of pain, in the face of persecution. Listen, if you believe in something only when it's good, you don't really believe in it. You just like the benefits you get from it. When you believe and you put your trust in something and you stand firm, even when things are not going your way, that's when you really experience joy. And we just walked through Christmas. We just probably, I don't know if you sang it, we sang joy to the world at our Christmas service. And we talked about how Jesus is our joy, which means that we believe in him even when things aren't going our way. And 1 Peter echoes this. He echoes that persecution in the face, in the face of our faith is actually what makes it genuine. And it's still relevant here today. But in order to stand firm in our faith, we have to actually trust in what we believe. It's not good enough to say, listen, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I, I believe in him. I come to church on Christmas Eve and the Sunday after Christmas. That's why it's important for you to come back next Monday. Okay, I won't be here. You'll be great. It's important to put our trust in our belief. And here's the difference. Uh, have you guys ever done, like, at work or, like, for fun, like a trust fall? Any done a tr trust fall out there? Okay, it's, it's silly. You stand there, and, and someone stands behind you and says, okay, go close your eyes and fall back. Okay, right? And I'm thinking to myself, listen, I put on a couple pounds. I don't know if he's going to catch me. I believe he's going to catch me when I'm standing there, okay? But I don't trust him until I actually take a step and start to fall. That's the difference. Belief you can have and do nothing. Trust is when you put some action behind that belief. And when you stand firm in your faith, that's putting trust in your belief. Taking a step, taking an action. Maybe it's with your coworker. Maybe it's with a, a, a fellow student or a friend or an actual neighbor within your wingspan. It's taking action to say, listen, I'm going to do something to let them know who Jesus is. With Jesus as my rock, where I trust, not just believe, where I trust, that's where my belief really comes in. So that's the first thing. Stand firm in your faith. Put our trust where our belief is. Second thing is this. Identify with Christ. In fact, be identified in Christ. It's hard to trust someone or something that you can't identify with. See, if you know who you are, you will know how to live because how we live is actually who we are. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus means that we follow our identity in him who makes us a follower, Jesus. Christian means Christ follower. Our choices, our actions, our life goals, our responses, all of these things should flow through the filter of Jesus. We don't have to believe who others say we are. 
We don't have to conform to the new trend that's happening. We don't even have to believe in our old destructive ways that have even made us who we are today. No, we just need to follow Jesus and find who we are in him, who he says we are. First Peter, jump to chapter two real quick. First Peter two, verses nine and 10 says this, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is who you are as a Christ follower. Now, when anyone else says, and I love this, because Peter does what any good preacher should do. He goes back and references the Old Testament. Something that many of these Jewish believers who had begun to follow the Messiah, follow Jesus, would have known. And he quotes Hosea when he says, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. He reminds them who they are when they stand firm and put their trust, not just their belief, their trust in Jesus. Their identity is in him. See, suffering for what you believe in, facing persecution, it's not fun. But neither is being rejected by the majority of humanity. Neither is going to a cross, being beaten on the way there, suffering, then dying for the sake of the world, both present and future. And yet, Jesus chose all of that for you and me. Identity as one of God's family members is a family that's always growing. It's always expanding. It's always loving. And that's our third point. God desires us. He, he, he shows us and he calls us through 1 Peter's words to love our wingspan, to love our neighbor, to love our sphere of influence. That may be family, that may be coworkers, that may be strangers in your reach at the grocery store or anywhere else. But we see that we should love our wingspan even when they don't love you. And I left this point for last because, again, it's easy to love those who are easy to love. It's hard to love those who don't love you. But Peter reminds us of how amazing, of how pure a Christ follower's inheritance is in chapter 1. There's a wonderful joy, and we can be truly glad in this inheritance, this thing called heaven, this, this future for anyone who believes in Jesus. And if it's that amazing, if it's that amazing of an inheritance, why would I not want everyone in my wingspan to experience it, to know it? I think it's easy for us to say like, yes, I want everyone to know who Jesus is. I want everyone to experience the promise of heaven. I want everyone to know the goodness of God, the joy of Jesus. And we stop there. We love them from afar. But what if we were to actually love them and invite them? What if we were to be the ones that would invite them to know who Jesus is? Friends, that's why I reach higher for more of Jesus and wider for more people in my wingspan. 
Because the reality is, if we're going to say we believe that Jesus' inheritance for us is absolutely amazing, if we're going to be truly glad for it, if we're going to be willing to suffer the promise of persecution, then why would I not want everyone else to know about it? Even, even those neighbors, those wingspan members who don't love me, I still reach out to them. But here's the thing. Our issue is, I don't know that we always really love those who we are called to reach. Like I said a little bit ago, it's easy to love those who are lovable. It's easy to love those in our family or in our wingspan that are always nice to us. It's hard when they're not. It's hard when they don't have the same belief as us. It's hard when they ridicule our church or the fact that we go to church. It's hard when they say, like, mm, that person over there, watch it. That's the Holy Roller guy over there. Man, he always has his Bible on his phone. He's whipping it open. Or maybe you're really cool and you actually carry your paper Bible with you, which, by the way, does not fit in your pocket. It's so hard. Like, I would love to carry this more often, but, like, the phone just fits everywhere. I do it. It's hard when people willingly and purposefully persecute you. And that's why I'm so glad First Peter wrote this letter and it was preserved in the Bible for you and me because it's God's inspired word, not just to those people back then, but to you and me here today. And so I don't want just my lips to say I love my wingspan. I want my heart to as well. And so my best response begins with prayer. It begins with asking God to expand. In fact, my reach, my wingspan is only so far. But Jesus continually expands it. My, my love for others is only so much. And so I ask Jesus to enlarge it. I'm a pastor. I, like, I get paid to love people, okay? I'm going to tell you what. Not everyone's awesome to love, okay? Like I, I look out upon my congregation just like this, my church family, and I think to myself, that guy back there, I don't know if I love him. <laughs> like, like, I literally had people in my mind, and it comes in. But you know what? I can't love them perfectly. But Jesus enlarges my love for them. And it's amazing when you begin to love, when, when my, my trust is in Jesus, and out of that, I love those who even don't love me, even the ones who sit in my church, even the ones who live down the street from me, when I love them, the difference it makes in their life and their love for me. And my understanding, my revelation of who God is in my life is only so much. And so I ask Jesus to deepen my understanding. I reach higher for more of him so that I can understand more of his love for me and thus allow that love to be for others. See, on my own, I can't reach. I can't love others. I can't even endure the persecution that I face because of my faith. And so I pray, not just not just spewing it out, but like actually praying and listening to God. Listening to words that he gives through like those who the Holy Spirit gave words today during worship. Maybe through some of the texts that I've spoken today. See, no one loves being rejected. No one, no one goes through life and says, you know what? I hope I get persecuted today. This is going to be great. It's going to be a great day. Happy morning to me. Persecution's coming. No one says that. No one loves that. And that's why we understand that the only person who will never reject you, the only person who will never persecute you is Jesus himself. And so we reach higher for more of him. We find our identity in him. 
We stand firm in our faith in him, and we love our wingspan through him because his back is never turned on us. His forgiveness is never withdrawn. And so I ask you this morning, are you facing some persecution at work or someone within your wingspan? Is, is there someone that you're like, listen, I, God, I will love everyone but that guy. Please not that guy. And I pray that that was the guy who you pictured in your brain when we started this message. I pray it was that family that you actually had their name on your lips when I asked you to picture someone at the beginning of today's message. Because if you feel the pain of judgment or ridicule for your faith, understand this, you're in good company because Jesus did too. Because others in this church family do as well. And we are always better together. And so that person that I had you think of this morning, whether they are far from Jesus or they're close to him, whether you look at that person and say, man, that's the person who I face persecution from, or man, that's the person actually that I, I get encouraged by. That's the person I run to and say, man, I'm having a tough day in my walk with Jesus and I just need some prayer. I need someone else to, to complain to or I need someone else to like come alongside me. I don't know who that person was that you thought of, but I do know this. They need to know Jesus. They need to hear this message that first Peter gives them, whether they're far from Jesus or close to him. I would encourage you this week. This is my encouragement to you. Peter started the encouragement and then like went downhill from there throughout first Peter. But I want to end with some encouragement to you to share this message, not mine, but first Peter's with someone this week, whether they're far from Jesus and need to know that they're loved by you or whether they love Jesus with all their heart and need to know that it's gonna be okay. That with you with them, they can help you stand firm. That you all can be identified in Jesus. And that you can love those in your wingspan even when they don't love you. And so this week, as we, as we launch into 2020, Friends, I pray that you would reflect. I love this, this board that you've done in 2019, that it'll be there as a reminder for you to reflect on 2019 because it's good to reflect on where God has brought you. But I think a lot of times the reflection is what shows you where you need to go. So listen, don't do New Year's resolutions. Don't sit down and be like, you know what? I'm gonna lose 20 pounds in the first month and then I'm gonna gain it all back. Listen, don't set a New Year's resolution. Look at 2019 and say to yourself, God, what was one thing that you did that was maybe like, this good. It was just a little bit good that you want me to expand upon in 2020. Maybe it's to love those in your wingspan who don't love you. Maybe it's to stand firm and put more of your trust in your belief. Or, or, or maybe it's just to understand that you are identified in Jesus. And so I want to pray for you. So if you would just join me in prayer right now. Jesus, thank you that you are the one we're identified in. Lord, our, literally, our identity comes from you. Lord, not who anyone says we are, not even who we think we should be, but Lord, it comes from you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would be with my, my new friends here in this church family who will hear this message. Lord, that you would help them stand firm to put their trust in believing you. Lord, to take that step with their neighbor, their coworker, that person in their wingspan who needs to hear about your love and your joy. 
Lord, whether they are loved for it or not, that you would help them take that step because they're putting their trust in you and following your great plan for them. And Lord, I pray for that person who's here today who's facing intense persecution. Lord, maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in their own family. Their own family ridicules them for loving you, for spending time in your word, for coming to church. Lord, I pray that you would give them an extra measure of love this morning so they would love that person. They would love their wingspan. Lord, help all of us to remember as we walk through this store, as we go throughout life, Lord, anyone within our wingspan is someone that you have brought for us to share your love, your joy, your peace, and your forgiveness with. And so God, use us. And if we must, use words. But if not, just use you. So Jesus, it's in your holy name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Friends, have an amazing week. Enjoy 2020. And uh, maybe I'll see you next Christmas when I come back to visit my parents. So see you guys.